It's a privilege to be back. It's great to see so many of you that um, I know from before. And um, for those that I haven't met yet, it's great to see you. Uh, My name is Andy Wood, and I'm the campus minister for Reformed University Fellowship. It is the the college ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, the denomination of which Christ the King is a part. And uh, it's great to be here uh, with you. it's always fun to drive here. I have to drive right by the new building every time I come down this way. And it's been, I think the last I saw was, uh, it's like, it was like May. And I, I, I see the, web, the webcam every once in a while, and um, it's really fun to see that building uh, come to life and the stone uh, there in the front. And uh, it, it's beautiful, and uh, it's exciting um, to think about how this church will be rooted uh, there and uh, just the continued um, gospel ministry that will happen, and, and know that you're being prayed for, and uh, we're excited for you guys as you get into the as you get into the building there. Let me tell you a little bit about our ministry. I want to give you a couple ways to pray for us. Uh, the the biggest way right now is that we have two new interns. Uh, we have RUF has an internship program. Uh, it's a two year internship, so recent college grads get to come work with us for two years. Uh, mostly working with freshman students. And so we, our girl intern, uh, Anna Beardsley, um, she is the daughter of the RUF campus minister at JMU. Uh, she was our student, and she met and fell in love with a guy named Cole Beardsley, and they just got married in May, so she gets to stay with us. And um, she's awesome. She's been a missionary uh, down in Panama City, Panama, the past, this past year, and uh, she gets RUF, and it's so fun to have. It feels like we got one of the home team uh, back to work with us. And uh, she loves Virginia Tech, loves our students. She, she knows me. She knows all of uh, the things that I can do decently well and all of, all of the things that I'm terrible at. And so I feel like we, we are like leaps and bounds past where I normally am with a new intern. Our guy intern, Will McDonald, uh, he is awesome. He is coming from the University of Alabama. He grew up in Birmingham and uh, got placed with us and actually has about three weeks of history with RUF period before taking the internship. He went with a friend his senior year of college to the fall conference, Alabama's fall conference, and he loved it. He'd been involved with some other campus ministries, but uh, was able to go to an RUF fall conference. And at that meeting, they had an intern interest meeting and said, hey, if you want to spend two years uh, learning the Bible and loving students and um, walking with them and sharing the gospel, here's this thing. And he was like, I, I-, I could do that. And uh, signed up for the internship. And he knows nothing about RUF, nothing about Blacksburg. And so um, he moved last week, and so I just want to give you a few impressions from him as he uh, moves to campus as ways to pray for us. Uh, he came over to our house the first night. He and his mom were moving him into his apartment, and they came over for dinner, and uh, our kids were there. Actually, just two of our kids. We have four kids. Josiah's 11, Cooper's 9, Sadie Jane is 7, and Benji's 5. So sixth grade, going into sixth grade, fourth grade, second grade, and kindergarten. And um, the big boys, uh, Josiah and Cooper, had left the day before to go with Amy's parents out to Yellowstone for a week. They did this grandparent trip thing. It was amazing. You can ask me about it later. They had a blast. They got home last night uh, at like 10 o'clock. So they had a blast. 
So it was just the littles at the house, just Sadie Jane and Benji. And Will looks over me at one point and is like, is it always like this here? And I was like, yeah, yeah it's actually worse because the, the two, the, the loudest two aren't even here. And um, so you can pray for our family um, just in the midst of ministry. Uh, it's a big transition year for us as Josiah heads to middle school. He'll be going to Majnik, uh, the middle school retreat, uh, in a couple of weeks. He's excited about that. Benji, our youngest, he's been ready for kindergarten since he was like two as the youngest. Um, and actually, we're really ready for him to go. He needs, um, he needs some company. Um, he's been Amy's best friend for a while, but um, it's time for him to get to school. So we're excited about that. We're a little nervous as well. So just pray for our family. Uh, the first day of school is Wednesday, and it's also the first day of freshman move-in. And um, so Blacksburg is going to be nuts and new bus routines and all of that sort of just, it's going to be crazy. So just if you think of our family, um, pray, just pray for us. Um, I spent the last couple of days uh, with Will and Anna. We did sort of an intern boot camp. We walked the campus. Will is trying to learn all the buildings and know what Hokie Stone is and um, figure out what the BT is and how it works and all of that stuff. He's trying to sort it all out. And um, we were talking about the freshman class that's coming in. Uh, this year's freshman class is 6,400 students. Um, and he's like, wait, how many? And I said, well, you're coming from Alabama. It's a big school. And he's like, yeah, but now I'm, like, now I'm in a ministry. How, how do you care for 6,400 people? And I'm like, exactly. That, like, that's the question that I want you to be, you're asking the right question. We feel the weight of that, 6,400. Actually, the last two years, it's been more like 68 or 6,900. They actually reduced it to make a little better decisions with housing and all of that kind of stuff. So um, we feel the weight of those 6,400 students that are coming. I went to tech a long time ago, and I couldn't get in now if I tried. Um, and as they reduce the number of students that they allow in and uh, the number of applications uh, went up by a couple thousand. It is becoming more and more of an elite place um, to go to school. Uh, it wasn't so much in my day. At least they let me in. So, um, but it is it is becoming a, a an elite place. And those freshmen usually come, whatever their story. If they got in, they're big fish in a little pond, and they're coming with 6,400 other big fish. And when when everyone's a big fish, nobody's a big fish. And uh, that transition can be really difficult. And so as we walk with students, just pray for us. Pray for those 6,400 students that are coming, that many of them would find a campus ministry. Uh, we serve alongside of other great campus ministries, and it is um, it's still not enough. And so just pray for us as we do that. Uh, I was meeting with Will and Anna, and we were talking about the intern's job, what a weekly schedule would look like and what they're supposed to do when they go to campus. And he's like, you mean, we just go and sit with folks and like talk to them and stuff? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's more than I wanted to defend the job. Uh, like, no, it's more than that, but it's, it's that. I mean, it is a lot of like sitting with students, going to sit in the library cafe and just hang out until some student walks up and you get to talk to them or you meet their friends. And um, it is, that's the job. Um, RUF, one of our distinctives that we, we put 
ordained campus ministers, old guys on campus, and we sit with students and we pastor them. We, our interns sit with students and pastor them. And so just pray for us that we would learn how to sit there and walk with students, this faithful presence that as, as the wheels fall off uh, in the middle of the semester, whether it's academic or relational or through poor choices or it's financial or wh- wherever the wheels fall off, that we would be able to walk with students and love them and share the gospel with them as the, as the wheels fall off. Uh, it is a privilege uh, to be in this ministry, and we wouldn't be here without you guys. Uh, your faithful prayers and support and providing food for us, doing all sorts of stuff that you do, it means the world to us. It is an encouragement uh, as we try to minister on campus that you come with us, that you have partnered with us in that. And so um, please know that we are thankful for you and our prayers um, uh, for you are, are, are like Paul's. I thank God in every remembrance of you. And so um, please know that. We do have some other opportunities uh, for partnering with us, whether it's food or financial I have three events coming up that we could use some help with, so if you're looking to partner with us, please let me know. I can talk to you about that afterwards, but uh, mostly just want you to hear how thankful we are and how much we covet your prayers. Um, Let's turn in our passage. Uh, We're going to get to to God's Word this morning um, in Psalm 19. Let me go ahead and read it, uh, and then uh, we'll pray and, and dig in. This is God's Word for us. This morning. It's from Psalm 19. I forget. Do y'all stand? No, sit. Okay, perfect. Then I'm going to read Psalm 19. Y'all just stay right where you are. This is God's word to us. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. You are kind in all that you do. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your word, that it is truth and life to us. I pray that by your spirit, you would come and work in our hearts, that you would come and make Jesus more beautiful and believable to us, that our confidence and our hope in him would grow, that our longing to know you 
would increase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is sort of a New Year's sermon for me. This time of year is um, really our new year. Um, January is just the break in between the semesters for us. It's the way our schedule works and the way a lot of Blacksburg runs is kind of, this is, this is the start of the year. And for you guys probably too, right? Maybe you have kids in school or kids you're, you're about to head to a new year, maybe a new school even. And so I think it's a good way to sort of check our pulse a little bit and see how we're doing. And, and this passage certainly has done that for me as I've been praying through it and thinking about it. Uh, it's helped me think about um, what really matters. What do I want to mark this year of life for me? And I think it's this. As I think about um, passages like this one, uh, verse 10, more to be desired are they, that's the law of the Lord, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I, I would say that Jesus is sweet to me and that I desire him. But I'm not sure I'd say that necessarily about his word, right? I'd say even as a pastor that it's a struggle for me at times um, to, to really delight in God's word, right? Even Psalm 1, passages like, like this, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. I grew up in a Christian home I grew up around the Bible in proximity to Jesus, and I think I felt like I sort of knew the Bible already for much of my sort of Christian career. Like, oh yeah, that's the Bible. That's where you go. Like, it's, it's about Je- like I could tell you that it was about Jesus, but I'm not sure I really delighted in it. And if I did delight in it, I delighted more in stuff like his mercies are new every morning or... This is what Jesus has done for you, right? Here's the gospel, that he became sin who knew no sin so that you might become the righteousness of God, or he who was rich became poor that you might become rich. It was stuff like that. If I delighted anywhere, it was in delighting in his mercies. And it was, struck me this summer, I read some C.S. Lewis, and I came across this, uh, this quote that I think uh, I'm not alone in that. And maybe, maybe some of you feel that. Maybe you should know that C.S. Lewis feels this too, right? Here's what he says. He wrote a, a little book called The Reflection on the Psalms. And he, he recalls David the psalmist saying, I delight in the law of God. It's like honey. It's like gold. The law of God, the perfect law of God, I just love it. And C.S. Lewis says, what, what's up with that? One can well understand this being said of God's mercies. But what David is actually talking about is God's law, his commands, and his ordinances, which means his rulings about conduct. This for me was very mysterious. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. I can understand that you can and must respect these statutes and try to obey them and assent to them in your heart. But it's very hard to find how they could be to anyone delicious, how they could exhilarate. We may obey them, but surely they could be more aptly compared to a dentist's forceps or maybe to the front line of battle rather than to anything enjoyable or sweet. Have you felt that? That maybe the parts of God's, law, God's word that you delight in are not the law? It's his mercies, it's his grace, right? We're grace-centered people, 
right? If you've been in this church for a while or maybe you've been around the PCA, certainly if you've seen RUF, we are about God's grace. And that's good, man, that's good. We, we never want to get rid of that. But I think we also want to delight in God's law. And the connection between my obedience and delighting in the word, there's a connection there somewhere. My joyful obedience is spurred on when I delight in not just the grace of God, but also the law of God, right? And I, I, lose, that, I lose that connection often. So how does this help us? We're going to look at this passage in three ways, God's world, God's word, and our response, right? The passage breaks down very simply that way. David, as he's writing this psalm, doesn't start with God's word, but he actually just, he starts with God's world, right? Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. David is saying what the Bible says other places, that God created the world as a picture for us of his glory, as, a, as evidence to his majesty, as a picture of his love for his people. Uh, we've been getting um, the boys, uh, Josiah has an iPod touch, right? He can take pictures and he can share the album with us, right? Thank you, Apple. And um, we, we, so we've been getting all week these pictures from Yellowstone, right? Old Faithful and the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone and the Grand Prismatic Spring and all of these amazing, that they're just, they're blown away. And even at 9 and 11, our boys can say, man, this is amazing. And it it didn't, it couldn't have just happened, right? I had that conversation midweek. Um, isn't it cool that God made all this stuff, Dad? I'm like, yeah, exact, exact, like that's it. Like that's the response that we're supposed to have. And maybe you've had that sort of feeling, right? There's a, a movie, it came out several years ago um, called Wild. Reese Witherspoon is the main actress, and I think she maybe even directed it, right? She's, she's had a tough life. Her mom dies of cancer. She's in a, a brief marriage and is struggling with addictions, and all of a sudden, a friend of hers gives her a, a flyer for the Pacific Crest Trail, right? This trail that goes from, I think it's somewhere in Washington, almost all the way to, to Mexico. She says, well, I I know exactly what's going to help me. I'm, I'm getting out there. I'm going to solo hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And so the story, it's true, it, the movie depicts this 1,100 miles that she hikes on her own. And it is this uh, life-transforming thing for her as she sees the wilderness, as she sees all of this amazing glory and majesty and beauty, she feels this big. And I think that's right. I think that's the feeling we're supposed to get, that in the midst of all of this majesty and all of this evidence of who God is, that it puts us sort of into perspective, right? It makes us feel small. And that's actually not a bad thing in our sort of self-focused culture where everything's about me and my comfort and uh, all that I can do to advance me and um, even to portray me as an amazing person and to do all of these things, to feel like, man, there's something else way bigger than me going on. Like, that's actually really helpful, and that's really uh, orienting for us, sort of writes our perspective and says, you're no longer the center of, of your world, that there is a God, there is an artist, there is someone behind all of this beauty. And that's good, and even Paul would say later in the Bible that, uh, that the evidences of creation leave us without excuse, that we can look at 
the beauty of creation, whether it's at its macro levels, right? If you have a telescope, maybe some of you are like amateur astronomers and you see all of these galaxies. Or in our passage, right, it, uh, David talks about the sun. And I know, I know nothing about science. I am, I am truly just a pastor, right? I don't have the artistic ability to be able to talk about all of this amazing art that God makes. I don't have the scientific knowledge to be able to talk about um, the sun, this, this combustible gases, something happening out there, right? But, but I can tell you, like David, right, that it's amazing in that it's, it's just far enough away not to destroy us, and it's just close enough to us to keep us warm, right? And that there's something amazing. There's a design behind that. We can be left with this picture of that's who, that's who God is. There must be a God bigger than me who's created all of this, and that's great, but it, it's not the full story, right? David moves on from God's world to look at God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. This beautiful poem that David is writing in praise of God's word, it's perfect. It's exactly as God our creator designed it to be, and it is exactly what we need. It is the prescription for how to live. And when we follow it, we flourish. And when you go against it, you do the opposite of flourishing, right? You bang your head against the wall. You experience the futility of the fall. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. It's the same word there. In Psalm 23, right, that the Lord restores our soul, that there is something restorative, life-giving to the Word of God, that it's given to us, not just that we can admire God's glory and His beauty, but that it can actually change us. It is transformative. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. We are amazed at God's beauty. In God's word, we see paradoxically, right, that the way up is the way down, right? That we, we know now this side of the cross, right, that, um, that it is only in looking away from ourselves, recognizing that the law shows us that we can't keep it ourselves, that we need someone from outside of us to come and do that work, to do that law-keeping for us. We recognize that it's only in looking away from ourselves and to Jesus that we can be saved. We, we get wisdom from God's Word. He designed us. He knows how we are to function. It's, it's not just the, op, the, the manual, right, that you get for the new bike that you buy or the new washing machine or the new iPhone and you just sort of put it aside, right? But it's actually as you read it that you understand and you gain wisdom, Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They are true and righteous altogether. They are the standard. That just doesn't mean that they're right, but that picture for right and true, it's actually one of a standard, right? It's, it's a, like a plumb line. And it shows us, it's, it's the judge by which everything else is judged. Uh, we get a question a lot 
in RUF um, from new students. We'll get it hundreds of times in this next week. Um, what's the, what is Reformed University Fellowship? What, reformed, what does that mean? And there's not a great way to explain it in 140 characters or anything like that. We have to try to figure out how to do that. And so we talk about how there's this historic connection, right, that we go, our roots go all the way back to the Protestant Reformation and even back further than that, right, that we are a part of a historic church and we have roots going all the way back. And that's helpful. The, the, the most helpful way that I've found to talk about it, and I think this, this uh, gets at it, is that we tell our students that we believe the Bible is God's word, that it's our authority, it's the standard by which all other standards are judged. And we come to the Bible with all sorts of ideas, presuppositions, thoughts about the world, about who God is, about who we are. And as we come to the Bible, we bring all of that stuff in submission to the authority of God's word. And what he does is that he reforms us. He reforms our thoughts. He helps us. He gives us the perspective that we need. He reshapes us under the authority of his word to look more like Jesus. That's what the standard by which all other standards are judged does for us. So as David longs for and loves, writes this love poem to the word of God, what he's saying is he's bringing himself to the Bible and allowing it to reform him, to reshape him. That it, it is the standard by which all other standards are judged. And then what's the, David then says in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And I think David gets what I often miss, is that there is real delight in living the way that we were designed to live. We're dealing with this now with our five-year-old, Benji, the one who should be in kindergarten already. Um, he is as, uh, and I always feel bad saying this, but she, Amy, would, Amy would agree, he is as stubborn as she is. Um, and so it's a, it's a little bit like this all the time, right? And um, she's very patient. She's much more patient than I am. She is a, a godly woman, and she deals with Benji better than anybody I've ever seen. But they kind of bang heads all the time. And one of the things that we've started to say to him is, Benji, you are not making wise choices. We're trying with our five-year-old for him to understand. It's a little bit hard. We're trying to say, you're not making wise choices. If you continue to act this way, here are the consequences. There will be futility if you continue in this. If you would just listen and just do what we say, trust us, there's flourishing, right? There's there's joy, there's happiness. You're going to get what you want, but you need to do it the way that we want you to do it. That we're your parents. God has put us over you. We struggle with it too. Come on, buddy. Please stop it, right? All of that. The point is this. When we live the way that we're supposed to, when we operate in a function like we were designed to, there's real joy. We find real joy. A lot of our students struggle with the idea of vocation and work, right? They'd much rather play Fortnite uh, than, than work. 
And so it's one of our joys and one of our challenges in, in RUF to say, you were made to work. Like, go back to Adam. And look, this happened before the fall. God gave Adam a job. And he finds joy in his work. Even God in creating, he worked for six days. And he rests. There's something to a Sabbath that's really important to you. You were designed to work hard and then to rest. And when you go against that, and when you sleep until 2 in the afternoon, and you don't really eat well, and you play video games until 4 in the morning, you, you, weren't created for, you were created to work. So if you would just work, if you would just apply yourself, like do the things that God has given you to do. Be a good student. Be a good employee. Whatever it is, like you were created for that, and there's joy and there's fulfillment in it. We long for God's word when we when we are acting in accord with how he's created us. And David says, just in closing here, there's great reward in keeping your law. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. The things I don't know that I'm doing wrong, please uh, declare me innocent from those things. Show me my, my ways, even presumptuous sins. Show me those so that they may not have dominion over me. Then I'll be blameless, innocent. And then he says in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now, David doesn't have full information here, but that word redeemer, right, we can see that what David is looking for here is he looks forward is to one who would completely keep the law of God. Hebrews says that Jesus delights to do God's will, like in the way that we're supposed to, but we don't. Jesus is the one who keeps that law, who completely, perfectly kept the law of God for us. And so the law is no longer our master. It's no longer our slave. If we have trusted in Jesus, his perfection, his righteousness, his obedience counts for us. And here's what happens. We talk about that a lot right? How, how Jesus kept the law for us and how we need to believe in him and trust in him. But the next piece of that is that the law transforms from being our master to being our guide. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, right? We're going hiking at night. We do a, we do a sunrise hike to McAfee's Knob, right? And so we're hiking at three or four in the morning to get up there so that we can see the sunrise. And it's amazing, but we, we can't do it without a flashlight, It'd be terrible. You would wreck yourself. You'd fall. You'd, you'd crash. You'd twist an ankle. Right? It is a guide to us. And it becomes something that we long for. If you've been in that moment of darkness, even, even a smallest light, right? even if it's just the, the flashlight on your phone, or you just wake your phone up and you're able to get around, no matter how small the light, any light at all becomes precious to us. And I think that's, that's my goal for this year, that God's word wouldn't just be sweet to me, that his mercies wouldn't just be sweet, but even in those obedience, in his, in his commands, that they would, I would see them not as oppressive, but as the way I was designed to live, and that I'd be able to walk by them in the steps that God has laid out for me. There's real joy in that. There's glory in our Redeemer, Jesus, the one who kept the law for us, who transformed the law now for us to be a guide. And I think that's my prayer for this year. And I hope maybe as you think about a new year starting, 
that you think about that too. In what ways could the law become sweet to you? How can you glory in Jesus as you obey his word? And I think as we do that together, as you do that as a church, you're going to draw in broken people. You're going to be quick to forgive and quick to repent. You're going to be quick to look away from yourself, but then long to be people who keep God's word. And so that's my prayer for us, that as we meditate on this scripture, that we would all become uh, folks who delight in Jesus as the hero of the text, as the hero of the Bible, and also long to live in a way that we were created for. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you have designed us and created us to live in relationship with you. I pray that you would help us as we leave here this morning, as we go about our week, as we start a new year at school or in college or whatever it might look like, Father, that you would bless us with a desire. You would give us a longing to know you better, that we would see Jesus as the perfect fulfillment of the law of God, that we would rest in his finished work for us, and then it would transform our lives, that we would look more like him as we obey your law, as it becomes sweet to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.